Are you there at home thinking about bringing a new pet into your home? If so, then look no further than research. That's right, especially if you want to be a mommy or daddy to an exotic pet. No, I am not talking about bringing home a monkey, serval, or even an alligator. As cool as it would be, though, to have a guard gator living in the moat that surrounds your suburban home. But no! In today's episode of Weird Animal Facts Explicit, we celebrate Responsible Pet Ownership Month by learning about two exotic animal species that you really, and I mean really, need to do some studying up on before bringing one into your home. So, don't be an idiot, and listen up, kids! My name is Deidre, and as someone who has worked as a zookeeper for 10 years, as well as have been an owner to many pets throughout my life, cat, dog, parakeet, hamster, rat, mouse, and even a really cool animal lizard, and since I worked as an ambassador animal zookeeper during my zoo career, that means that quite a lot of the animals I cared for were known to be pets. Now, I know I'm going to say this a lot today, but it's because it's very, very important. Before you get any animal as a pet, you need to do your research. As in more than just listening to this podcast. Oh, and maybe even ask the people that you live with if they're okay with that. After all, not everyone can tolerate the random cat ass in their face first thing in the morning, nor opening the freezer to a bag of frozen mice carcasses to feed your snake. Just like when you bring a child into your home, there are many qualities you need to have, or quickly learn, such as patience and understanding. If not, then you're pretty much setting yourself to fail and possibly that animal to die. And the only good dead animal is the one between two buns. If you tuned in earlier this month, then you have learned that February is Responsible Pet Ownership Month, where the first week of February, we talked about two domestic animals. This is two animals that are normally found around humans and have been pretty much been around humans since humans became the competent beings that we are. But for the last week of February, we will learn about two exotic pet species that are for the much more experienced pet owner. That's right, don't just get an animal just because you think it's going to look cute or cool. Save that for your Dungeons and Dragons campaign. In the real world, you need to do your research and know just what kind of care and sanity it takes to care for an exotic pet. And the two animals we'll be discussing today are the weird and spiky hedgehog and the beautifully complicated Chinese water dragon. Hedgehog! A literal living ball of spikes. For those of you familiar with Sega's video game Speedy Blue Hedgehog Sonic the Hedgehog, then you sort of know what a hedgehog looks like. And I say sort of because, well, hedgehogs are neither blue, nor are they all that fast. But what they did get right are the spikes and the fact that they do roll up into a ball. If you live here in the United States and have played this video game, Sonic the Hedgehog looks like a made-up creature from mythical land. But for those of you that live in Europe, you know that a hedgehog is in fact a real living thing. Because they have hedgehogs in Europe! And there is a difference between the uh, Europe hedgehog and the one you find with pets. The wild European hedgehogs are larger than the ones that are common to have in the pet trade and actually have a darker brown as they need to camouflage. Well, actually, I don't know if hedgehogs really need to camouflage as they're covered in spikes, but they still have it. 
And I would also like to take this opportunity to clear up a myth regarding spiked animals. And if you listen to the North American Porcupine episode, then you may already know this. But those spikes can't be shot off. And unlike the North American Porcupine, hedgehogs don't really lose the spikes. Well, I mean, they aren't really supposed to. Like the thinner ones, like that border around their smushy, exposed belly and their booty, those are easier to lose. But the spines, as they are called, that are on the back are pretty much stuck. And yes, it's just made out of keratin. Keratin! The miracle protein structure of life! It's in skin, it's in fingernails, claws, teeth, horns, antlers, and yes, even hair! Keratin! You'd look pretty freaky without it. But instead of shooting out their spines, because they can't do that, hedgehogs will make them jump. Kind of. As I said earlier, their belly doesn't have spikes on it, so it's gotta protect that. After all, there are some brave, or maybe I should say stupid yet lucky animals out there who will eat a hedgehog, and when they do go after them, they will go where there are no spikes. Belly, legs, or face. So to protect oneself, the hedgehog will roll into a ball and will do a supersonic spin attack on its enemies! No, that's... that's not it. No, they simply roll in a ball, super tight, then, using the muscles all along its back, that will cause the spikes to bounce. These muscles they use, which I will not try to pronounce, are similar to when a cat is pissed off and it lifts the hair up on the back of its neck. Or even when you get the sense of that spooky ghost is in your room and it sets its creepy empty hand on your shoulder and you get goosebumps. It's kind of like all that. But where we have no control over our goosebumps, or how a cat doesn't really decide to lift its neck hair, hedgehogs have complete and voluntary control over those muscles. Meaning, if a scary-ass predator, or your toddler baby, gets too close to the hedgehog, they simply roll up. Which then makes those spikes stand up on end and appear much pointier. That's because of those muscles that we talked about, and it actually makes them very, very rigid. And while they do this, they almost do a hissing noise, which I will imitate, while it pushes up those spikes. Something like that. This behavior is one that all hedgehogs do. From the wild European to the more domestic one that has descended from the African pygmy hedgehog. And I don't say domesticated, as hedgehogs and most exotic pets haven't been around humans long enough for us to really fuck with their genetics in the same way that uh, we have turned the vicious root wolf into a pug. But that doesn't mean that we haven't tried. And in trying, you can come across some massive heirs. I have worked with a mini number of hedgehog individuals whose genes weren't on the winning end of the spectrum. Most hedgehogs live around four to six years, where some of these unfortunate dudes only stuck around for a couple of years. In my personal opinion, with hedgehogs, maybe humans uh, should have stayed out of it. Why? Genetic diversity! Think about those kennel clubs for dogs. Pure breed dogs tend to have a higher risk of greater health issues. Some, like the bulldog, we just fucked up their frame and shape so much that they simply get issues like hip dysplasia. (laughs) Some, like the bulldog, we just fucked up their frame and shape so much that they simply get issues like hip dysplasia. And since purebreds need to have only the purest of bloodlines, 
And by purest of bloodlines, that just means their own because they're the best. <laughs> so that leads to breeding siblings with uncles and grandchildren with second cousins. And it doesn't take a geneticist to guess what issues may arise from that. At least with dogs, we've been doing it for so long that there is a decently large selection of German Shepherds out there that uh, their family tree doesn't get too fucked up. Well, at least not yet, really. <laughs> what is good about the Kennel Club is that they have the entire family tree on Wasabi the Pekingese, meaning they know who fucked Wasabi's great-great-great-great-grandmother, where... When I ask for my heritage record, I'm told that my grandma would always claim that we were descendants of John Hancock. But the fact that she also always wanted Monopoly tells me that my grandma might have been a just a bit shady. Hedgehog breeding can be kind of like that. Backyard breeders, as it's commonly called, is when Joe Schmo lets his pet hedgehog fuck whoever, just so that they can sell those babies for money. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not all hedgehog breeders, but quite a lot of them. And if that breeder is only looking to make a buck, then the chances of them housing and caring for that hedgehog at the level it needs can be rather poor. I will say that pet stores, even like Petco and PetSmart, are okay for getting yourself a pet hedgehog. But the best is from a respectable and reputable breeder. For example, here in the United States, if that breeder happens to have a USDA license, then that means that they are caring and keeping the hedgehogs they breed to the standards that the USDA recommends or even higher. Hopefully higher as some of the USDA guidelines can be a bit questionable as it's not required for certain breeders to have a license according to the Animal Welfare Act. And there's a lot to the Animal Welfare Act, which we will not be getting into. Fun fact, zoos and aquariums around America that are accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquarium, AZA, also are accredited by USDA. That means there are more rules and regulations that zoos and aquariums need to follow than there are Spider-Men in the Marvel Universe. Let's say you found yourself a good quality hedgehog breeder and are ready to bring this new critter into your family. Well, are you? Because it might surprise you how unprepared you really are. After all, do you know what they eat? How often to feed them? What kind of bedding do they need to live on? Do they need bedding? Do they need an enclosure? Will my cat try to eat it? Do I give it water in a bowl or a little sippy cup you hang from the fencing? How big of a fencing? How tall? Do I need fencing? Does it need a hole to live in? Do they climb? Are they lazy? What's their favorite Jonas Brothers song? What if they hate Jonas Brothers? Will it be easy to transition my hedgehog's music taste into something that's actually good and is a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Okay, let's break this down. Before you bring any animal into your home, you need to do some research, which includes the following. One, what is this animal's natural history? That means, what is their wild counterpart like? That means, learn a little bit about the African pygmy hedgehog, because they are a bit different than the European hedgehog. Two, what is this animal's individual history? Is it young, old, was it a baby-making machine looking to retire? Did his parents have health issues? You know, this is the sort of stuff that you try to decipher on a first date. Finally, three. Based on the information that you just found out about the natural and individual history, will you be able to support and care for this animal safely and financially? And that's it. Three things. For a hedgehog, 
they're insectivores who are nocturnal. Meaning, in addition to having a bag of insectivore chow, which is just like a bag of dog food but for hedgehogs, you'll also have to have a container of live mealworms in your refrigerator, probably right next to your butter. And since they're nocturnal and very active, they're going to be moving around a lot. Not necessarily fast like Sonic, but they do move a lot. So if noise keeps you up at night, you might not want to keep them in your room. Oh, and they have really tiny and weird feet, so you can't just put a wire hamster wheel in there, as uh, their toes and nails can get stuck. You also have to trim their toenails, which sucks. <laughs> Good luck. Speaking of getting stuck, these hedgehogs may look like cute, chunky robos of spikes, but their heads are tiny, and sometimes they like to put their heads into holes just to see if they fit. <laughs> they don't always fit. Like fencing, for instance. Their head can get stuck in that fencing. If you want to give them a toy, well, don't give them a toilet paper tube because they'll try to put their head in it and then they'll get stuck. Then they'll freak out, and that's no fun. And if they're freaking out, then that means they're stressed. And when I get stressed, I usually have to poop. Same thing with most living things. And hedgehogs already poop quite a bit. Trust me, of all the animals I have ever worked with, I have been pooped on the most by hedgehogs. And their shit stinks. So if you want a pet hedgehog... <laughs> well, good luck. Those are all things you have to consider. Ha! It's the transition song. From going to one topic to the next. It's the transition song. So that we have no awkward silence. Chinese water dragon. Sounds majestic, doesn't it? But just like anything that holds impressive beauty and power, will require a lot of attention. Unlike that tiny hedgehog who, in comparison to a child, is rather easy to care for, the water dragon is not for the novice. Neither is a child, but condoms break all the time. Lucky if your condom malfunctions, you won't be popping out a scaly lizard baby. That'd be pretty cool, though. So, consider the information we are about to hear as your exotic animal Trojan protection. And uh, you know what? We'll even throw a little KY jelly on there, just for her pleasure. Just what is a Chinese water dragon? Well, it's not actually a dragon, so sorry about that. Chinese water dragons are a southeastern Asian lizard, which can get about three feet long, which is larger than most house cats. And way cuter! Normally green, a water dragon looks like your typical lizard that resembles an iguana. Because it's an iguana! Iguana no more! Fun fact! Iguanomorpha is the name of the infra-order that all iguanas fall in. Kingdom phylum class. Order. Family genus species. And as a reminder, infra-order falls after the order, but before the family. Double fun fact! In the state of Florida, when it gets too cold, the Florida iguanas will literally fall from the trees. It's raining iguanas. Hallelujah, it's raining iguanas. For the first time in history, it's gonna be raining iguanas. And with that second fun fact in mind, as well as the location as to which Chinese dragons are found, this should indicate to you that they like it warm, as most reptiles do. Meaning, if you live somewhere cold and want a Chinese water dragon, or really any reptile as a pet, 
then you're going to have to spend extra money to keep your Empress Princess nice and warm. Oh, and humid! <laughs> Meaning, if you live in the desert, you're going to have to use even more money to shower your darling in some moisture. And sure, this sounds easy enough. Heat and humidity. That's super easy! <laughs> Alright, let's start with the heat. First, how do you heat it? Whoa, 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 whoa. This is actually a lot more complicated than that question actually is. Because let me paint a picture by giving you a real-life example from my recent life. As some of you know, me and my roommate Emily, as well as our dogs, have moved from a tiny, noisy apartment to a large, peaceful house. And, it being winter and cold, we need to stay warm so that we, nor our dogs, die. To do that, we can do a couple of things. We can either, one, put on more clothes, or two, turn on the heat. While in our tiny apartment, it was easy to heat that little space. But for this house, it takes a bit longer and more money. So if it's not too cold, then we just put on more clothes and then put sweaters on the dogs. And if we stop feeling our toes and fingers, then we turn on the heat. For a reptile who is cold-blooded, we can't put a sweater on them. Be well, we can, but they don't produce heat the same way we do. So sure, those Pinterest images of bearded dragons with a little jacket on are real cute. But, but that's it. That's all they are. They're, they're simply cute. It does nothing to keep them warm. So for our Chinese water dragon friend, we'll need to crank up the heat. And just like it takes more energy to heat my house versus my tiny old apartment, and since a water dragon can grow up to be three feet long, that would mean that an adequate size for them would be four to six feet long, six feet tall, and three to four feet deep. That's about the size of an RV shower and can take quite a bit of space in your home. So make sure you have space for it. Oh, I have a question. Why does their enclosure have to be so tall? Well, if you've done your research on the Chinese water dragon, on their natural history, then you'll learn that they are arboreal. They live in the trees and they really like to climb. Well, what if I get a baby Chinese water dragon? Then I don't need as big of an enclosure. Well, sure, but what about when it grows up? Well, how long does that take? A Chinese water dragon can live close to 20 years. Oh, so I have time then. Well, yes, but you better make sure you actually get a bigger enclosure before it gets that big and it's too late. And while we're heating your new baby, we might want to consider the proper light bulbs, which can be their own complication. Like what wattage is it? Does it actually give off heat? What's the energy usage as I'm a poor ass motherfucker? And do those lights give off UVA and UVB lights? Because those are extremely important. Unlike your lazy pasty white ass who only goes outside to check the mailbox, most reptiles do what's called basking in the sun for hours a day. That means as a reptile with their amazing scales, they need more vitamin D3 than we do. And just like us humans who don't get enough vitamin D, AKA sunlight, it can lead us to have a, a loss in bone density and no amount of milk will fix that. This same thing will happen to reptiles. So they need those UV bulbs. And a good site to check out is ZooMed. They've got all different types of bulbs for your learning brain to explore. Speaking of lights, don't forget about the photo period. Imagine if you lived in a cave that was pitch black for years. Or maybe you lived in a fully lit sitcom set where the lights never dimmed. 
Either way, living in that sort of non-changing photo period environment can really fuck you up. Or even your lizard. So don't be a dick and leave your lizard's lights on 24-7. That's not cool. Have it follow the cycle of the sun. After listening to all this light talk and your eyes are growing wide as you think to yourself, <laughs> oh shit, that's <laughs> that's a lot of information that I need to know um, and, and buy and, and furnish and... <laughs> that's just the tip of the iceberg for properly caring for a Chinese water dragon. In fact, with lightning, you can go down a very deep yet bright rabbit hole as you try to figure out what's the best yet cheapest light you can use for your lizard queen. And yes, this is the rabbit hole I have gone down many times and uh, have gotten lost every time along the way. Because of that, we're going to move on. Humidity is not just that invisible moist fog that fizzes up your hair and makes you sweat between your ass crack and your boobs. No, no. It's very important for those tropical reptiles like our Chinese water dragon. It is true that there are many reptile pet species that are from the desert, which means too much humidity could really mess with their respiratory system. But get this, even a tropical lizard who lives at nearly 80% humidity in the wild can also have respiratory issues if you don't make it just right. They're basically like Goldilocks from that story with the three bears, but 10 times more sensitive than that self-entitled Gen Z snowflake. And you better get them what they want, and well, in the water dragon's case, what they need, because if you don't, they can really get sick and even hurt themselves. The best way for you to protect your dragon is to set up a home for it to live as much of a stress-free life as possible. Have a big enough enclosure for it, proper lighting and humidity, give it perching to climb on, proper substrate that can help aid with the needed humidity, especially if you live in a dry area, make sure you feed it the right amount of food and the right food, have an exotic vet you can and do take it to for an annual checkup, and of course, clean its fucking house. Not cleaning can lead to parasites and even infections that can and often do find refuge on the skin of a dragon. And if you're stressing your dragon out too much, or even if that individual simply needs a bigger home to live in, it can literally hurt itself. Oftentimes, Chinese water dragons that become too stressed will begin to rub their snout on the side of their enclosure. And it doesn't matter if it's glass, wood, mesh, or... I don't know, even padding, because you can pad the shit out of that. Some dragons will still rub their face so much that, can that it can create giant holes in their face that eventually lead to mouth rot. And trust me when I say this, as I have seen mouth rot on animals before, it is not a pretty thing. It looks painful, which I am sure it is. And typically, if it gets bad enough, the only ethical solution is to put that animal down, which is just heartbreaking to do. But there is a solution to all of this, and it's just be an excellent caregiver. Because the quality of your care is the quality of their life. And sure, going to a zoo or an aquarium, or maybe even you have a friend who has cared for animals their entire life, and yes, they are going to make it look easy, but it's not. It's hard for some of us to keep a plant alive. The real reason isn't because we have a black thumb of death. No, it's because... We haven't taken the time to learn how to keep that plant alive. I'm not going to be able to control whether or not you should or shouldn't get a new pet or what pet to get as any animal care professional will tell you that caring for a living, breathing animal 
requires more than just the research, the proper housing, lighting, the correct food, because it also requires passion and love. The things we don't like doing are things we aren't passionate about. So my advice to you or anyone thinking about bringing an animal into your home, ask yourself if you are truly passionate about it, because if you are, your passion will shine through the life you provide for that new family member. And if not, you could be and will then have to watch the consequences of your actions unfold. And that can be the most heartbreaking thing to ever experience. Well, maybe the second most heartbreaking thing because you haven't heard me say the scientific names yet. Scientific names are hard. This is the part of the show where I attempt to read a scientific name. I asked my roommate Emily to provide me the scientific names which I attempt to read now. And for me, reading these scientific names are probably harder than caring for animals. But this is also me. And if you heard this segment before, you'll understand why. So let us begin with the African Pygmy Hedgehog scientific name. Atelieric Albinvensis. Atelieric Albinvensis. Oh, great. Next, the Chinese water dragon scientific name. Okay, fuck. I don't want to do this. Fixinothal. Fixinothal. Fixinothos. Cocinus. Cocinus. Fisinoctal As someone who has worked with many animals and has always had a great and deep passion for nature and wildlife, who dedicated four years of her life to study how to care for such animals, then to commit an entire decade to applying and perfecting that knowledge into successful action, I can tell you that it's not for everyone. Not everyone will find joy in watching a snake drink from a water bowl. Not everyone will frolic through a yard with 20 goats. Nor can everyone stand calmly as a great horned owl swoops down to land beside you. This is not a path for everyone. It will be hard, and it will be very stinky at times. For anyone who has a child, partner, parent, sibling, you will know the roller coaster ride of emotions they can easily take you on. A pet can and will take you on that ride. The only question is, Can you handle it without vomiting up your lunch or murdering someone? If not, then don't be sad or beat yourself up because even if you don't have the passion, temperament, or even the finances to bring a new pet into your home, you can always experience animals and nature in multiple ways. You've always got your good old buddy David Attenborough with his animal documentaries you can watch. I'm sure you have a friend or family member who has a pet you can visit and be that cool aunt Hell, you can even go to a zoo or aquarium, visit animals there. And if that's still not enough, go for a hike. And like a real hike, not like a brisk walk through the shopping center while holding a Starbucks cup in your hand. No, no. Immerse yourself in nature. Just don't fuck with the wildlife. That's how people die. Take pictures and leave behind only footprints. Even if you aren't ready or capable of becoming a pet parent yet, that's okay. You can still love and support animals in many different ways. And that's great, because this world needs more people who care. And if you're in the caring or giving mood, then consider rating this podcast wherever you're listening. That way, more people can find or discover their love for animals and wildlife. Until next time, stay weird.